came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, Merry Christmas. (laughs) Grace is yours and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Some years, Christmas is a little more disappointing than other years, especially if you build your hopes high on having a really great experience and then it doesn't happen. Did you get everything you wanted for Christmas? Did you have a nice Christmas together as a family? Maybe you had to work on Christmas, or did you get some time off? Was it really merry? No matter how you ask it, the question raises doubt about your Christmas experience. Most of us carry around in the back of our minds a picture of what a perfect Christmas ought to be. Images of snow and family, laughter, good food, and total pleasure, right, are probably part of it. We use this imaginary picture in our minds to measure up each Christmas, and without fail, we find that just about every real Christmas we experience just doesn't measure up to our ideal, and so we're disappointed. No matter how hard we try, we are simply unable to bring about a perfect Christmas. Maybe one family member is sick, or another decides to visit somewhere else. Maybe the roast is a little overcooked, Or like me, the peanut brittle for dad got a little too hot and got scorched. (laughs) Maybe the lights on the Christmas tree shorted out. The The shirt you got, maybe it doesn't fit. Or the sweater's the wrong color. Almost always something goes a little wrong. And oops, there goes another chance to have that perfect Christmas. What do you do? Well, you just start planning for next year's perfect Christmas, right? (laughs) Actually, the second Sunday after Christmas today the twelfth day of Christmas, finds people a little disillusioned. All the expectation and excitement is over, the new year has begun, and we're realizing the fact that another year has come and gone, and we can never get it back. Time marches on, and we think about our past and the personal secrets we hold. We know where we've been, we know what we've done, and we know what we've left undone. We all know the deep hurt of life just sliding by, leaving us without enough time or opportunity to make amends for what we might regret. We know it's too late, and that hurts. And so we try to stop the pain any way we can, maybe with video games or too much alcohol or shopping, 
gambling? What is it that keeps you from feeling the pain or regret? How do you self-medicate? Overeating? One more Christmas cookie. (laughs) Our failure to create a perfect Christmas is often matched by our failure to create a perfect year. So it's easy to become sad or disappointed. Every birth is followed by the potential for postpartum depression. And the birth of Jesus is no exception. Even the church itself is capable of that same experience. And this is precisely one reason why the historic church chose the lessons it did for the second Sunday after Christmas. The passage from Jeremiah portrays a future of relentless joy. God promises to lead the remnant of Israel, his chosen people, back to their ancestral home. It's a promise to a depressed people, a hymn praising God for his constant love for his people and for his gift of gladness instead of sorrow. The second lesson from Paul's letter to Ephesus reminds us that we are beloved by God even before the foundation of the world and that we are holy and blameless before him in love. It invites us to hope and live into God's promise to share with us the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints. And the gospel reading from John proclaims Jesus' birth as the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us full of grace and truth. Verse 16 says, From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And as I came in today, I just have to say that I noticed this beautiful window. You know, we've got the star pointing to the Christ child, and we've got, in the beginning was the word, right? The logos of Christ. And you maybe can't see behind the screen, but there is um, a Madonna, Mother Mary with a baby, a Christ child in her arms. And I just think about the word of God, you know, flowing over all creation, all of that nothingness. In Genesis, you know, before the earth was formed, and I love the motion in this beautiful window up here. So that was an aside. Now I'll come back over. (laughs) All right. The common fiber that weaves through all of these lessons is the declaration that God's love for us is constant. It surrounds us all the time, whether we know it or not, whether we feel it or not, and whether we believe it or not, that is the word that addresses us in our post-Christmas day, postpartum depression. That word is grace. How do you define grace? What is grace? One definition I found said that grace is the freely given, unmerited favor and love of God, the influence or spirit of God operating in humans to regenerate or strengthen them. Perhaps one way to describe grace is to say that it is favor and kindness shown by one person to another without the others deserving it. In other words, grace is unearned love, unconditional unearned love. In the creation story, man comes alive when the breath of God enters his body. Life is based on breathing in and breathing out. Life begins when we receive God's breath 
And life ends when we return the breath by exhaling and not taking it in again. Therefore, every new breath we take in is a new creation, a sign of God's grace for us. I don't know if you're doing this, but I'm like almost hyperventilating, like I want to take a big breath and let it out. The fact that we are permitted to inhale again and again means that God forgives our past and urges us toward a new future. Every human being on this planet is breathing. For some, it may be dull and uninspiring, but for others, it's an exciting acknowledgement of God's presence in their lives. For all people, it's sheer grace. Some people recognize it, some people don't. The tapestry of human relationships is another sign of God's grace. Even when relationships are broken, even when conflict and anger abound, even when jealousy and suspicion take over, the relatedness of people continues. No one is ever so isolated that there isn't someone who takes some sort of relationship to him or her. And any relationship means that we count for something, that we matter as human beings. Every relationship we have, therefore, is a sign of God's grace. The gospel tells us to take heart, then, in the grace that surrounds us and stands at the very center of life, because it was there from the very beginning and will be there all the way through the very end. More than that, this grace has now shown up in the form of a human being, born in Bethlehem, and 33 years later crucified outside of Jerusalem. Every breath we take is part of the same spirit he embodied. Every other human being we are related to is made of the same stuff, the flesh, that he was made of. The grace that surrounds us is focused on him. He makes grace evident in life. In Christ, we are able to see plainly the constancy of God's love and favor. Through him, we have forgiveness for every part of our past. Jesus Christ is the Lord of every Christmas, and he is the Lord of every new year. He is the Lord of every breath we take in and every new bit of life we are. There's no need anymore for us to wish and wait for the perfect Christmas or for guilt-free New Year's. And even if we do, the good news is that he stands strong against any sorrow or sadness that might be produced by our unfulfilled hopes and desires for perfection. In him is the power to make us his brothers and sisters, children of God, and heirs of that eternal life which is safe from false wishes and depression. In Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, is our hope, a hope and promise that overcomes every disappointment. Amen. Our hymn of the day, there are four.